Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Halichah, which is in the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with about 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now we've got 3,000 chosen men again, all right? 3,000 chosen men going after David. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakhilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. Now, I want you just to pause there for a minute. How do you think David felt? When, okay, everything is fine. He spares Saul's life. Saul says, you, you gave good for my evil. I'm sorry. Let's, let's not do this anymore. And now here he comes again. Okay. You know, one of the things you'll find is that enemies are not logical. And, and this, this is one of the things that you just have to learn. Enemies are not logical. And enemies are not repentant. They kept coming. Every time they said sorry, but he really obviously didn't mean it because he, here he comes attacking David again. So David arose and came to a place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment. And so there's 3,000 men around him while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruai, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army laying around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. And, Abishai, and David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? This is David's heart. This is David's heart. And David said, As the Lord lives... The Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down to battle and perish. Okay, he said there's three ways this man will die. Three ways this man will die. God will strike him, his day will come to die, or he'll go down to battle and perish. But then notice, here's his heart. The Lord forbid that I should put up my hand against the Lord's anointed. David's heart. David said, I'm not going to be the one to destroy this man. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. In other words, God gave David the opportunity to show his heart. 
Now, sometimes you look at this and you go, you know what? Why was David so careful about this? One day he would be king and he did not want to sow anything that he would reap. And one day all of these men would have to owe their loyalty and allegiance to him. He wanted these men to realize he had a loyal heart. So these men needed to learn about their future leader. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of a hill with a great space between them. And he called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the lord your king. This thing you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord, the lord's anointed. The lord's anointed. David's heart. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that is at, that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord the king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, that I shall have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. He said, They're driving me out of Israel. They're driving me out of the land. And they're telling me to go to these other nations that serve other gods. Now, brothers and sisters, But if it is men, you know, there are people that stir you up against people. And they're not being honest with you. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come to seek a single flea, like one who wants a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes these days. Behold, I have acted foolishly, and I have made a great mistake. David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand this day, and I would not put out my hand against the, the Lord's anointed. This is one of those wild verses. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and for his faithfulness. He said, you know what? God gave you into my hand today, but I was faithful. God gave you into my hand today, but I was righteous. And God will reward me for it. Behold, as your life was precious in my sight today, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. David died in bed. <laughs> Saul died in battle. David died 
full of years and having served God's purpose of his generation, he died in bed. Why did God always guard David's life? Because David sowed that. Now get a revelation of that. God guarded David's life. Because see, he sowed it. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his palace. <laughs> Saul knew David would be successful. Saul knew that. Chapter 27, verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now... I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Okay. Here's wisdom. Here's prudence. And he said, I keep sparing this guy's life, but he keeps coming after me to kill me. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I may escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Malch, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Why? Because he's in a different nation. Saul would have had to go to war against this different nation, to get David. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of your country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now Ziklag became David's fortress. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gersherites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for these were of the inhabitants of the land of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. David would strike the land and leave neither man nor woman alive, but he would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where did you make a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of the, the Garamelks or against the Negev, the Kenites. And David relieved neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom while he lived in the hill country of the Philistines. So he's living there, and he's plundering, he's destroying the armies of, of the Philistines and destroying their towns and their cities and stealing their wealth, but he's covering it up. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he will always be, he shall always be my servant. Now notice, he trusted because he said he's made himself a stench. One of the worst reasons to trust, this is a bad reason to trust. You trust because they look like they've made their friends their enemies. Bad reason to trust. Chapter 28, verse 1. 
In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel mourned for him and buried him at Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put all the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. All of these demonic people were, were driven out of the land. So Saul had done a good thing. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shumnem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. All right, so fear is a motivator. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. Now, brothers and sisters, when God doesn't answer and you're about to go to battle, that's a scary time. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium. All right, so now he's going to go to the devil, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whoever I shall name for you. All right, so divine for me by a spirit. So he's using demon spirits. And the woman said, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? And Saul swore to her by the Lord. And notice, swearing to her by the Lord to use demons. Wow. No punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Who shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out in a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Okay. Now, this is one of those big question mark passages in my Bible. All right. Like in big question marks. All right. How can this demonic person call up Samuel? Well, I don't think that she could. I, I think she cried out in a loud voice. She was afraid. She wasn't used to seeing something real like this. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up from the earth. And he said, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now, the only person who really could have done this is God. Only God can do this. Only God can do this. Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? 
since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. Hard words. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. You're going to be dead. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. Now notice, Samuel didn't tell him anything new. He told him what he had told him years ago. Now again, I I, I don't understand everything there is to understand about this. Sure, I read all the theology books, but you know, there's things that still don't click and you still don't get. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll ask God about it. But we recognize she saw God coming up. She, this was a real thing. And this woman was afraid because she hadn't seen something real like this. And all Samuel did was remind him of what God had already said. And the woman came to Saul. And when she saw he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she quickly killed it and took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away into the night. And we'll pick up there, and we'll begin to see the death Saul and Jonathan, and their bodies carried and hung on the walls of Bethshan, that place we visit every year. But again, brothers and sisters, I wish I could tell you I completely understood all this, but I do not. But I do know that God is real. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
distress and the grief. The disincarcerated, the same of them like me. Then they took him and they beat him while they cut his back and people raised. put him in his holy grave. He was trashed and abused and a hammer to some wood. For the story goes on for kids. Our New Testament passage today picks up at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, key word here is betray. Peter would deny they would all flee, but only one would betray. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
which, which one of us, okay? I mean, we've been together for three and a half years. Which one of us would actually betray Jesus? One of the disciples whom Jesus loved, okay, this would be John the Beloved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Now, remember, we're not dealing with a Western-style table like Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper. The table that Jesus would have been sitting at would have looked something more like this, and we always show you a we always show you a, a recreation of it during the um, School of the Cross. Now, John the Beloved would have been sitting here. Jesus would have been sitting in the middle. This would be the place of honor, and Judas would have been here because Judas was the treasurer, and he needed to be close to Jesus to go out and buy things and pay for the food and things. And then all the others would be spaced here. And then they would come into here, and this is how they would serve the food. Now, they didn't sit at a table like I'm sitting in a chair now, or like you're sitting in a chair. They would recline. That's why it says reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Literally, John would Jesus would be on his elbow with a pillow under his side, with his legs sticking out, and reclining at the table, and he would take one hand and eat like this. All right, so he's he's leaning and eating like this. So John literally leans back and puts his head on Jesus's chest. Okay, reclining at the table at Jesus's side, and I always teach you that Jesus gave Judas his back, <laughs> and I always like that. Jesus isn't afraid of anybody. Judas is Satan-possessed, and Jesus still gives him his back. And I could make a lot of jokes about that, but I won't. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he's speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so he dipped the morsel, and he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot, because he was right back behind him. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Now, this is the second entrance. We saw that he also entered earlier in Holy Week, and we'll put the verse reference out there for you. He entered earlier during Holy Week, and now Satan enters him. So it's like Satan is popping in and out of Judas. And Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he went out, and it was night. Now that's fascinating. He takes the morsel of bread, and then Satan comes into him again. He experiences the goodness of Jesus, and Satan comes into him again. Very hard-hearted man. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The introduction of the new commandment. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love one for another. So the proof of discipleship is walking in love. The proof that you are a student of Jesus is that you're walking in love toward one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Really? Really? Will, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now notice we have betray and we have deny. These are two totally different concepts. All right. A little bit of Proverbs before we close out today for some wisdom. Proverbs chapter 24, beginning with verse 27. Prepare your out your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. After that, build your house. All right, this is priority of finance and work. You prioritize income over consumption. Income must always be in priority over consumption. Always. He said, this is wisdom. Develop, spend your time, time and finances. Priority. Income. Not consumption. Now, you, we live in a world today where the new young generation wants a good life and they want everything nice and they want everything easy. They want to prioritize their lifestyle over their income. Oh, I want a good life. Okay, you'll have a good life, but first prioritize your work. You'll have a good life, but first prioritize income. And that, young people, you, you've got to get this on your insides, okay? You've got to get it on your insides that you must prioritize income you must prioritize work over consumption. This is God's wisdom. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Okay? Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. In other words, don't go start saying things against people unless there's a reason. And don't go and don't lie about them. Don't don't deceive. Don't don't tell people untruths. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. Um, no vendettas. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Not a vendetta allowed. Okay? New Living says, and don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll, even, I'll get even with them. In other words, don't use your words, okay? Don't use an opportunity to testify against somebody. Don't lie about somebody because you want to get even with them. Just learn to live in truth in Jesus' name. Because you know what? Truth always comes out. And truth wins. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into disputable matters in the book of Romans. See you then.